Whether you have a skin interest, a skin query, a skin trauma, or skin disease, I warmly welcome you to Heal Thy Skin, a podcast brought to you by Derm Health Co. I'm Marnie, dermal clinician, dermoscopist, and your podcast host. Skin is deeper than beauty, and our mission is to build the largest platform of specialized practitioners focused on skin health and skin empowerment. Join me each week where we go deep into the skin and beyond to hear stories and education from leading practitioners on a journey of skin health. We would like to thank Allied Magazine for sponsoring this podcast episode. Allied Magazine combines allied health and wellness with a fresh outlook on people who are shaping and shaking up the industry across business, allied health, fitness, and wellness. Whether you are looking for a boost of creativity, professional advice from industry experts, the most exciting new products and technology, Allied Magazine is the only magazine allied health professionals need. And when you sign up to the Derm Health Co. directory as a practitioner, you can receive a complimentary subscription to one month of the digital copy of Allied Magazine. To find out more, go to dermhealth.co or visit alliedmagazine.com. Welcome to the Heal Thy Skin podcast. I'm Marnie, your host, and today I am speaking with Jennifer Byrne of Victoria University. Today we are speaking about inflammation within the skin. So inflammation you can think of as something that you see, so redness, swelling, um, heat, on the skin, but it's also something that you don't necessarily see. So it might mean that there's increased inflammatory markers in the area, uh, and it might not be something that can necessarily be palpable or something that you can actually um, feel or have tangible. But we can have what we call a low-grade chronic inflammation in the body as well. And Jennifer is going to share all the different types of inflammation, how they can occur, and how this can really be implicated when it comes to treatments that we might be performing in clinics. So this comes down to aesthetic treatments, but it also comes down to injury and a wound repairing as well. Jennifer is a full-time lecturer in the Bachelor of Dermal Science for the College of Health and Biomedicine at Victoria University in Melbourne, as well as being currently the chair of the Australian Society of Dermal Clinicians. Jennifer's teaching and research interests focus on the clinical and interdisciplinary approach to dermal practice, and she has expertise and specialization in clinical governance, standardizing practice, skin integrity and health, and wound scar and oedema management. So today, Jennifer is going to share how her experience with all these um, units that she has lectured at Victoria University for many years and her experience in the field has inspired her to really focus on reducing inflammation in the skin. I started by asking Jennifer what she thought was the biggest misconception about inflammation. That's a good question. It's actually, I guess, a couple that I come across most commonly. The first one is particularly in the area of cosmetics and aesthetics, I suppose, that more is better. So, you know, using particular products on the skin that can cause 
inflammation all the time and that's a good thing you know it gets lots of blood flow going we look nice and glowy we look nice and, nice and smooth because we're exfoliating the skin and if we keep doing that we'll keep maintaining that kind of effect and that's going to be a good thing and, and it's not necessarily the case which i guess we're going to talk a little bit about when we talk a little bit more about inflammation but on the other side of that coin also interfering when we do have inflammation so sometimes we will have an injury it might be something that's happened to ourselves it might be you know, traumatic it might have cut ourselves or you know, even sprained something. And we will often intervene with that with medications or other things too early and not allow the body to do what it needs to do either, which can also have a, a knock-on effect to affecting the outcome of that healing as well. So probably two sides, you know, I think people are a little bit scared of inflammation or perhaps don't understand it as well and what it's doing for us. And, you know, when to, when to, to step in and do something and when not to, I suppose. Mm. And it's exciting in this episode that well, you're going to talk about, I guess, the, the role of inflammation and that it's actually a vital part of our body's healing ability. So I'm looking forward to hearing that. Jennifer, can you explain what exactly is inflammation? Yeah, in a nutshell, inflammation is really our body's ability or its capacity to try and return function and form when something's been damaged. So it's quite a unique wound healing capacity in different species and different animals. It can actually look a little bit different and, and that's you know, unique to them as well. And it can change as well, depending on our age in terms of how we heal and what our you know, inflammation looks like and how that leads on to the scar quality we might develop and that sort of thing as well. But essentially it's our body's ability to try and bring itself back to homeostasis, you know, being able to optimally function, I suppose. Um, and we can see inflammation, you know, I'm a general clinician, so I'm probably more concerned about inflammation that, is happening in the body or in the skin that's going to affect the outcomes of the skin. But we have suffered from inflammation anywhere in our body where there can be some sort of a trauma. So we can have you know, inflammation in the gut when we you know, have a diet that might be irritating or perhaps some sort of inflammatory condition that affect that. We can have it in the lungs and things as well. You know, a good example is asthmatics and those that suffer from that sort of thing too. So anything that's causing some sort of harm to a tissue is going to cause some degree of inflammation. Mm. as well yeah and i think there's this concept that inflammation is something that you see like you cut yourself and your arms swells up is inflammation something that we can always see no definitely not by the time you can see it you know we we have quite significant inflammation so when we think of inflammation we're tending to look at this this what we call cardinal signs of inflammation so we're looking at um something like you know we call it erythema which is redness in the skin which you know tells us that there is a lot of dilation of blood vessels which is then going to be bringing particular cells to that area that's in being injured or damaged and it's going to try and clean it up and you know, controls, I suppose, the wound healing environment and secrete certain growth factors are going to help with that as well. But by the time we see redness, we've had some significant injury that's damaged blood vessels. When we have significant pain, you know, we've got, again, you know, injury to nerve and receptors and things in there as well and, and changes in the tissue, which means there's swelling as well. It's impacting on nerve as well. So by the time you feel it, you know, so again, something fairly significant has happened. And the same with swelling, you know, so we've had swelling again, we've got you know, a lot of fluid rushing to the area, trying to bring those cells. So it, that's, a, that's a fairly significant event if we can see it. People often can feel it before they can see it as well, especially if it's gone on for a long time. So when you're thinking about see inflammation, it's usually what we call an acute inflammatory response. And often that's a good thing. So we're looking for those signs because we can see the body's sort of mounted a really good response, which means we're going to get lots of cells to that area. They're going to secrete what they need to to do their job and we're going to get healing and usually that's going to resolve in a fairly predictable way in a predictable time frame as well and that that's a good thing when people have had inflammation for a long time sometimes they 
can't see it necessarily anymore, but they may feel it. And there may be other things that are going on with the skin that can let you know there's still information in the skin, but you can't necessarily see it. So we call that persistent sort of ongoing low grade inflammation. And we see that with a lot of conditions. So people with, you know, acne and, you know, lots of different skin conditions will have not necessarily a lot of redness in the skin, but there will be some. Now they won't have a lot of swelling, but there might be a little bit and the tissue might feel a little bit different to feel. They might have a little bit of altered sensation things as well, but it's not really significant. So it's not necessarily something we can see or feel, but there can be some little alterations that can let us know that it's still there. Mm, interesting. And you mentioned a couple before, but what are the main causes of inflammation? I guess just thinking outside the square, what could be causing inflammation that we might not be aware of, especially when we're talking about that low-grade type of inflammation that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, so essentially it's a body's response to stress and trauma. So often when we're thinking about inflammation, it's, you know, it's a physical stress that's on the body, but the body can also produce inflammation to a psychological stress as well. So in this day and age, we're often very busy and you know, very stressed, and that can cause inflammation in the body in various different areas. So those sorts of people can be more prone to rashes and, and skin conditions and things as well, but they can also be prone to having dietary problems and, you know, that sort of thing can also cause inflammation too. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And when does it actually become a problem? Generally speaking from our sort of, sort of clinical perspective, I suppose, there's a magical number. When we do a treatment and we're inducing infl inflammation, we want to have a nice robust response. If we see it in the skin not actually resolving or getting better over time, over a two-week time frame, actually, then it can become a problem. So that in that way, when we have inflammation for more than two weeks, we get something what we call fibrosis. So we're going to start producing some sort of scar tissue. Now, that doesn't need to say that we're going to produce a big scar, um, but we can produce some fibres within that skin that can be a little bit more rigid, not as pliable, and so that can affect the skin after that. So people who have had eczema, for example, will probably notice the skin where they have those plaques all the time is a little bit stiffer. And that's because they're getting something called fibrosis because they've had inflammation in the skin for such a long time. So for us, two weeks is a bit of a key thing, but it really becomes more of a problem. Clinically or medically, they won't really say that it's a huge issue until it's been present for more than three months. But there's a sort of a, you know, a big time frame, obviously, in between there. And the earlier we can manage it, the better and the more likely we're going to get that return of normal function and feeling to the area as well. Mm, fascinating. And what can someone do if they get to that point and they are actually noticing differences in their tissue due to inflammation? There's a few things we're learning, I guess, with research in terms of the different ways the different systems in the body will help with managing inflammation or resolving inflammation. And not many people have heard of the lymphatic system, but the lymphatic system plays a really big role in resolving inflammation. We have our cardiovascular system, which everyone thinks about. So it carries our blood and you know, cells and oxygen and those sorts of things around, which when we have inflammation, you know, the skin appears red because we have what we call vasodilation. Those blood vessels dilate and sometimes become leaky and allow those, sort of, those cells into the area to do their job. Alongside that system, we have something called the lymphatic system, which carries away waste and toxins and you know, carbon dioxide and hormones and all sorts of you know, large uh, molecules as well. And what we know now is that it's that system that has its own very small pumping sort of system, different to the heart, that pulls that fluid away from the area and that's what actually resolves inflammation. So if that system's not working all that well or is very sluggish or it is damaged for one reason or another, 
and we can't get that fluid to move out of the area, that signal or one of the signals to reduce inflammation isn't there. It's not the only one. So we have the lymphatic system that helps resolve the inflammation in the skin. We also have other different sort of signaling systems as well. There's chemicals. The cells talk to each other with little chemicals. There's electrical signals and those sorts of things as well. So there's a whole lot of interplay of different things, but we do know that the lymphatic system plays a much bigger role than we thought before. So using some sort of a technique like massage or we call manual lymphatic drainage, which helps to move that fluid away from the area, it is a signal to the body to resolve that inflammation and kickstart healing as well. And that's something fairly simple. It's relatively easy to do and you can be taught to do and you can even look online to learn how to do as well just to help that fluid move away from that area Mm, how fascinating and perfect segue because you have a special interest in lymph biology so i do how can we consider the lymphatic system with common skin conditions Yes, as I mentioned, it is, there's more research that is coming out about the lymphatic system. It's not only just a, a removal system or a waste removal system. It's also part of our immune system. So different skin conditions have different inflammatory profiles. So we can look at those different types of immune cells. And in the future, they might be able to diagnose particular conditions based on the types of cells that are there and you know, where they're all kind of congregating and in little groups together as well. And so the lymphatic system being able to circulate those cells and, you know, the cells go back through the lymphatic system to get to lymph nodes so that we can mount an immune immune response when there is something nasty that's gotten into a wound or something like that or a skin condition. Then we know now that the lymphatic system is so important in all of that circulation. It's like a really vital kind of thing that needs to happen as well. So for me personally, anyone with a skin condition, anyone with an inflammatory condition actually, so anyone who has, you know, asthma, irritable bowel, Crohn's disease, or any of those kind of inflammatory conditions as well is going to have a load on their lymphatic system. It's not going to be working as well because it's trying to constantly manage this inflammation, I suppose. So we need to help it. It's a system that actually moves really slowly on its own. So helping it can actually help to get those signals, those cells to where they need to go to do their job and leaves a bit of that load, I suppose. Mm. And in regards to, I guess, common skin conditions and lymphatic system, Mm. what would you like to see more of the industry? Do you think that there's an opportunity here or a need here to have a little bit more thought into the lymphatic system when we're performing certain treatments or when we're looking at certain skin conditions? Yeah, there is. I mean, obviously, us working with the skin, we tend to work, you know, topically. So I work with, you know, products that are going to help that skin condition, which is still really, really important. So the lymphatic system is the second line of defense. The skin's the first. So normally with it being intact, it's keeping anything nasty out of the body, you know, protecting us from external assaults and those sorts of things as well. Now, when that's not working well, like in a skin condition like dermatitis or eczema or any of those sorts of things, then the lymphatic system has to pick up the load of that. So there's always going to be more immune cells in the area trying to, you know, make sure nothing's going to get in or fighting it if it does. So from our perspective, barrier function is really important. So, you know, using topicals and things to do that helps to protect and again, take the load off that system of, you know, the lymph having to pick up that sort of surveillance kind of aspect but then alongside of that you know with the skin that's already been impaired and has that prolonged inflammation the lymphatic system is going to be working harder so we do need to try and take some load off by protecting it with the skin and then also you know assisting it to to work so you know i'd like to see a lot more people considering you know firstly teaching people themselves how to do that kind of lymphatic drainage it's so easy to do in the shower or before bed you know it doesn't take very long so that's really really something really simple to do even just breathing exercises 
lymphatic system circulated a lot through RAM, contracting, expanding when we breathe. So having a good laugh, having a few nice, you know, big deep breaths really helps to move that system around. But from a cosmetic point of view, we need to understand too that when we're providing treatments where we're breaking the skin barrier, that we, we are also impairing on that system. We are causing inflammation. And if we're doing it too often, then that can, over time, in some people, my area is sort of lymphatics and there's a particular condition called lymphedema, which the longer we study it, the more we understand it. Some people are predisposed to this. And in those people, you know, they can have their lymph system can stop working altogether or in certain areas and they can end up with quite a lot of swelling. So it might be a leg or an arm or it can be other areas of the body as well. Now in those people, you know, it's something often causes that. So it might be a surgery, you know, it can happen with people that have prolonged skin conditions as well. So there is a link with some people that have psoriasis and, you know, dermatitis. It's still, you know, relatively rare but in some of those people they can go on to suffer from lymphedema as well so from a clinician's point of view you don't want to put these people who you don't necessarily know are at risk because you can't see it there's they don't walk around with a sign on their head saying i'm prone to lymphedema <laughs> but you know you don't want to be causing injury constantly in people who may end up with that later in life and know that that's something you could have prevented so lymphatic health i think is something that we all need to be aware of you know Helping our lymphatic systems moving is going to be good for all of us. But in those people in particular, helping that system that's a little bit sluggish and you know, is prone to trauma and not really recovering to make sure that we're doing everything we can to support them. So in my particular area, I would say if there's not a clinical need to actually damage the skin, then don't. Um, it's probably my, my personal perspective. So with a lot of cosmetic procedures, we need to think about why we're doing it. And do we need to be that sort of damaging to the skin? Is there another way that we could do that that would be less invasive and not inflame the skin as much? But on the other side of that, sometimes we do need to. So it is good to see somebody who does know about what's going on with skin because in some situations we do need to step in and actually cause a little bit more inflammation in order to get it move on. But a lot of situations, in most situations, we actually don't need to do as much as we're doing. That absolutely makes sense. And just for the listeners it's probably been obvious that there is a link between the lymphatic system and inflammation. But are you able to just go into that a little bit more um, just to explain that link between inflammation and the lymphatic system? Yeah, so and I might actually talk about the inflammatory cycle a little bit and that might help explain it a little bit as well. So when we have an injury, we have this, as I said, we, we, something happens to the barrier. So we might have something that sort of gets into the skin, breaks skin, you cut it with a knife, for example, or you rub it off, you know, have a gravel rash or whatever it might be. The body goes into high alert. So at that point, we have what we call that vasodilation. We have the blood vessels are damaged. We've got all those cells that rush to the area. What's really interesting about the lymphatic system is at that time, it actually stops over the whole body. And that's really interesting. And we think the reason for that is because whatever might get into the skin the body wants to let that be managed in an isolated way. So it kind of walls off where the area has been damaged and nothing gets out from there. So all the blood rushes to the area and the sort of cells leak out of the blood vessels and we get plasma and fluid where that sort of injury has happened. They start to clean up. There's something called neutrophils and they secrete reactive oxygen species, which is quite damaging to bacteria and damage, you know, breaks it down any debris that might be there and the lymphatic system stops and lets the, those cells do their job. And that happens for about four hours. And then after four hours, the rest of the body, the lymphatic system keeps circulating as normal, but that particular body 
part. So that quadrant that was your hand, you know, your arm might be affected for a bit longer. So for up to three days, that put of particular area can be have very sluggish circulation. So if anyone has ever sprained an ankle or cut themselves, we often find that part will get more and more swollen up to about three days because the fluid is coming in, but there's no lymphatic fluid moving out. And that's normal. That's actually a really normal response because the body's trying to wall off what potentially could have got in. And then in a healthy person, after three days, the lymphatic system will start pumping itself again. And that fluid starts moving out and that's what resolves the inflammation. So we have the fluid moving out, we have less inflammatory cells in the area. That starts what we call downregulate. So everything stops working as hard and it starts getting back to normal and we start shifting into a different sort of phase of healing. So inflammation starts moving into something we call late inflammatory phase and other cells start coming into the area that will help to repair the damage. So that we then have something called fibroblasts that will sort of move into the area um, and proliferate from different areas and we'll start producing other types of fibers to try and repair that damage. And then that will continue for about four to six weeks generally speaking, for a simple injury. And then we have that sort of very fine line scar if it was deep enough or in some cases if it's quite superficial, then you won't even know that the wound was there at all. So that's kind of how the, the lymphatic system works. But in some people, if they're you know, continually traumatising that area, so we keep knocking it. So, for example, you've cut yourself, but you keep ripping off the Band-Aid or you keep bumping it on things, you'll find that swelling doesn't go down after three or four days. It continues because we've got this continual trauma. And that can happen when we're doing treatments and things too, cosmetically. So we keep, you know, if we do it too soon, if we don't let that inflammation resolve in a normal way and we keep hurting the skin or hurting the body essentially, then that inflammation never actually really resolves the way it should. And we can kick over into what we call a chronic inflammatory cycle, which you know, can be a bad thing for some people. In the elderly in particular, that can lead to what we call chronic wounds. So the cells that stay in the area, as we mentioned, they, they secrete this kind of like chemical that can break down tissue. So if they stay there for too long, they can start to eat away healthy tissue. And in the elderly, sometimes they can have something called ulcers because of that. So, you know, these sorts of things, again, we don't necessarily think about because in healthy young people, this often doesn't happen. But in people that have other things going on, you know, they might be diabetics or older or you know, have other inflammation in the body, it's a little bit easier for things to go a little bit wrong. Absolutely, it makes sense. And what are your thoughts on the increase of aesthetic treatments that people are performing on a regular basis? So you see all types of things, whether it be needling or laser or peels or, you know, there's, there's just more and more of it where things are being done on a consistent basis basis yeah i always come back to you know is there a clinical need in terms of doing that so sometimes doing the opposite can actually be better so in terms of it's an anti-aging kind of reason we're doing these sorts of things there is a lot more evidence now that persistent inflammation in the skin is what contributes to aging so you know photo damage or sun damage is a good example of that so that the uv is constantly hitting our skin it's constantly causing damage the body responds to that with inflammation and over time that ages us so there are some points where yes you know doing a treatment that's going to cause inflammation to remove that damaged tissue so you know it might be you know a lesion you don't want or it might be a wrinkle or wherever it might be you can do a couple of treatments to try and remove the damaged tissue but you want to let that happen you want to have that inflammation you want to let it heal and then you want to leave some time to, you know, in between doing that and the next one to see if you actually really need to do that again. There's only so many times you can actually injure the skin and get a significant sort of improvement. You know, we're never going to be able to res 
reverse all of the damage, I suppose. So as a, a clinician myself, it's a case of, you know, do the treatment, leave three, you know, six weeks to have a look, particularly, you know, depending on the age group as well, see how much improvement we've got, and then maybe think about doing the next one and then do the same thing and then maybe think about doing the next one. And when it gets to the point where we're not really getting a lot of improvement, then we need to add, you know, weigh up, you know, what are the pros and cons of causing more damage if I'm not really getting a lot of improvement because I am putting the skin at risk. So with serial treatments, you know, that's something I'd like to see people consider, like reconsider doing because booking somebody in for eight treatments and doing them every two or three weeks, for example, somebody in the long run. And the same as thinking about how many times do we do this in a year as well. But that also does relate to how severe or how invasive the treatment is. So we need to consider whether it is something like a superficial treatment where mainly we are just removing a little bit of the epidermis that regenerates itself anyway. And, you know, we will have some inflammation, but it won't be definitely as significant as doing a deeper treatment. It's going to affect deeper layers of the skin, which is going to induce more inflammation because the body is going to think this is a really severe injury. And so that, that needs to be handled quite differently as well. Yes, makes sense. So in terms of performing or having treatments at clinics and things, just widen the spaces to like, how would you really know when someone was ready for the next treatment? Treatment. Yeah. So yeah. in terms of, I, we call, I said there's an intervention ladder as well. So there's a few things to consider. So we always go for the least invasive treatment that we can. That's going to give us the outcome we want. So especially in young people, it's like, why are we doing necessarily as really aggressive treatments when they don't really need it? So could we get the same result doing something a little bit less invasive, a little bit safer, that's not going to induce as much inflammation? It's probably the first thing to consider. So looking at that intervention ladder, then definitely the spacing. So it's on an individual basis. And that, this can change too, depending on how you're feeling, what's going on with you in your life as well. So if you're a little bit more stressed than normal or if you're you know, a little bit more tired than normal or various things can go on, your healing can be a little bit different. So we should be monitoring that sort of inflammation and what are we looking for those signs so you know when they come back for their next treatment if there's any signs still of any redness any swelling you know any altered sensation um, any barrier function impairment so even if they don't have those signs of lots of inflammation in the skin if there's still small amounts of inflammation in the skin it won't be functioning as well so they'll have it'll feel dehydrated because we have not good barrier function it's not sealing itself well and it's losing water so it can feel a bit taut a little bit tight and those sorts of things as well so if we've got any of those sorts of signs it's not ready yet it's still inflamed we need to use good skincare i suppose in some ways it's going to reduce some of that inflammation and then get them to come back and, and review again mm. and switching gears just a little bit how can you or what can you share with us about topical skincare for inflammatory skin conditions yeah, again, there's a few things that we can do. And back to basics is actually one of those things that's um, really important. So when we're looking at reducing inflammation, we're assisting that the body to do what it should be doing naturally, and that's protect the barrier, you know, protect the body. It is a barrier. So making sure that the skin is well hydrated, that it's pliable, that's probably one of the most important things. So we call it emollient therapy. So using moisturizer that's going to make sure that the skin is sealing itself if it's not doing it well itself so somebody with eczema and and those sorts of things often can't really do that all that well itself so we, we choose particular products that might have something like called ceramides in it which helps with um, moisture being retained in the skin as well uh, and you can certainly get really good preparations from the chemist you can get them within the clinic as well there's lots of different brands and people can choose things based on what their preference are preferences are um, but something that is going to help 
retain moisture in the skin. And some people, they might even need a seal. So they might need um, something that's got more of an oil base to it as well to try and retain that moisture in. So that's probably one of the most important things. You know, on top of that, if somebody does have a lot of inflammation in the skin and it is producing, you know, those reactive oxygen species that, you know, we're doing something to neutralize that as well. And we can use antioxidants. So we can have antioxidants that we can apply if it's a small area. So for cosmetic treatments and people doing faces of small areas, it's usually fairly doable. So using antioxidants like vitamin C, in some cases vitamin E, which I think we're going to talk about in a second as well. So those sorts of antioxidants, if it's more of a systemic problem, then we probably, you know, people are suffering from inflammation sort of around the body might have a condition for example, inflammatory conditions causing inflammation, they might want to talk to a dietitian or somebody else as well about whether they need to take some antioxidants as well. And most of us you know, often will take something like a, you know, a supplement you can get from the chemist, but they may need something a little bit more, but that can help too with some of the problems that can be associated with inflammation. And then on the other side of that, once we're sort of repairing the skin, we need to think about preventing any more trauma that could cause inflammation. So it's a case of if we're going to, we do need to cleanse the skin, but making sure we're not cleansing it aggressively. So using things that don't have ingredients that are going to disrupt the barrier of the skin. And for some, some people might be more sensitive to these than others. So SLS or sodium lauryl sulfate, for example, is something that the eczema foundation now educate people with eczema that they shouldn't be using because it does disrupt the barrier and it can cause more problems in them. And some people who are prone to eczema can sort of bring on a flare up as well. But in other people, they might recover okay from the everyday sort of use of that or the occasional use of it. And often it's used in products because it does disrupt the barrier, it softens the skin a bit, and it makes it more receptive to other things. But on an everyday basis, we probably shouldn't necessarily be using that all the time. And that's a soap, so it makes it foam up and things like that. So looking for cleansers that are not really foamy or soap-based. Um, we're looking for more gentle and also ones that are as close to our own pH. So again, we're talking about that inflammation happens because homeostasis of our skin's upset and changing the pH, making it more acidic or more alkaline than it would normally be can do that as well. So trying to steer people away from soap bars and, and those sorts of things that can traumatize the skin as well. And then of course, UV as well. So educating people on the importance of using a sunscreen, whatever they prefer, one that they can just use every day, all over, anywhere that's going to be exposed to the sun and just, you know, other assaults and things too. So if they're prone to the skin rubbing in certain areas or they garden and those sorts of things, just making sure that they're preventing damage to their skin as much as possible or at least monitoring it and making sure that they're, you know, observing whether anything's happening to their skin. Yeah, great advice. And I love the idea of going back to basics because I think um, we're kind of in this world of more is better. Exactly, yeah. People have 12 different serums that they're applying every day to their skin. (laughs) (laughs) And there's certain things that have more evidence that that they do work and they're the ones that, you know, you can certainly invest in. And, you know, if you're somebody who, you know, likes to pamper yourself and do those sorts of things. That's great. But there are some things we do know, you know, these are the minimum. These are things that we know do work and often simple is better. Yeah. So for someone with inflammatory skin conditions or, or is healing from something, it would be a non soap based cleanser an emollient yep. um, type of moisturizer with ceramides, SPF and an antioxidants. Yes, yep. definitely. Like they're, they're the, sort of the main things, the very basic things that we can do. Yeah. Yep. Great. And vitamin E, which you mentioned before, is a common ingredient used to treat scarring. 
However, there has been some studies now that I know you're familiar with about applying vitamin E on a fresh scar. So mm. often, well, there's lots of products out there that say that they're vitamin E and they're for, you know, scars and to prevent scarring. Can you explain a little bit more about how vitamin E works and when mm. we should perhaps be using that? Yeah, I think with vitamin E, it comes down to the timing and where you're using it and how you're using it and the concentration you're using it in as well. So a vitamin E normally found within the skin is actually mostly secreted in our sebum and you know forms part of the the squalene and the wax esters and things that sit on top of the skin and in that way it normally provides a mechanism to protect us against uv damage and free radical damage associated with uv and that's where it normally sits on the surface of the skin and you know it protects us that everyday sort of way when we use high concentrations of vitamin c so for example if we have a scar and we're massaging in you know, vitamin C in a concentrate. It's been found to have, it is very anti-inflammatory, which is why we use it, but it acts a lot like a corticosteroid, which, you know, can be good at certain times of wound healing, but definitely not within the sort of very early phases. So, you know, you often probably go to a doctor and they'll say, look, you know, don't take, you know, don't take these steroids in this time frame. Don't, you know, don't muck around with inflammation during this time frame because we want it to sort of move on and get to this point. And it's the same with vitamin E. So in terms of an early scar, we wouldn't use it within the first three weeks because we want to build up what we call tensile strength. We don't want to reduce inflammation. So we get really poor quality collagen and then we end up getting a really poor quality scar. So within that time frame, we wouldn't use vitamin E because it's going to reduce inflammation probably too much in certain concentrations. So you really do need to look at, you know, how much vitamin E. If you're looking at like a moisturizer like sorbolene that's got a little bit of vitamin E, that's probably not going to be necessarily a problem. But if you're using quite a strong concentrate, like a serum of vitamin E, that can be more of, more of an issue. So that's probably the timing aspect of it. But once it has healed, so if you've got a scar that has healed, you've got to that sort of four, six, sort of eight-week mark, Vitamin E, a scar doesn't have sebaceous glands in it. So it's no longer producing that sebum that has the natural vitamin E in it. So it is actually really good at that point to then be massaging a scar with some vitamin E in it because that will be replacing what the body's not actually producing anymore. So it really is more about the timing and the concentration. Yeah, that's a great clarification. I think it's something that people probably haven't considered, the timing of when you use certain things. And vitamin E, you would think you can use at any time, but um, as you have highlighted um, early on in the scar or the wound healing process, it's probably not the best thing to be applying in high concentrations anyway. Jennifer, just... For listeners, for anyone that may be experiencing inflammation in skin, whether it be acute or chronic, can you just give maybe three tips that you can recommend based on your professional and personal experience as to things that they can do to either prevent or reduce inflammation? Yep. Probably one of the biggest things, probably not something we think about is rest is one of the one of the main things. So, you know, during inflammation, the body does actually want to rest and recover. And often in modern society, we push ourselves through that. So, you know, we, we take anti-inflammatories because that, you know, that wrist is hurting, we need to keep going. Or, you know, we apply that cover-up cream and these sorts of things because, you know, we, we are a bit red and we just want to push through. But if you have inflammation in the body, then you know, it is trying to heal from something and you don't want to push it too hard, I suppose. And that's not saying don't do anything, but, you know, making sure you are getting the amount of sleep that you need, that you are not taking on, like, you need more stressful situations than you need to at that particular time, especially if this is more chronic inflammation. But the same with acute. So if you have had, you know, a procedure, you know, do go home and put your feet up and 
take it easy for a couple of hours is, is something that's it's important to do. Make sure you do stay hydrated. You know, all of these processes, those moving around and production of certain fibres and, you know, those sort of things mean that we do need to eat well and we need to stay hydrated. So that's probably another thing as well. But in terms of the skin, for me, it is a case of, yeah, learning to do a little bit of self-lymphatic drainage. You know, do that for yourself every morning and every night when you get up, make it part of your sort of care ritual that you do and making sure that you are using skincare that is trying to help the skin do what it needs to do and not cause more damage to it as well. Mm, great advice. Thank you. And uh, Jennifer, where can people find more about you and the projects that you're working on? Well, I work for Victoria University, so you can always jump on the website there. And if you have a look at the Bachelor of Dermal Science, you'll see where I work and what we're doing in terms of educating students and clinicians. And I'm also a member of our professional association. So if you're looking for somebody who can give you advice professionally about this sort of thing as well, you can certainly jump onto the website for the Australian Society of Dermal Clinicians and see what we're up to as well there. But I can certainly provide some links and things too. So for people who want to find more about skin conditions or support groups, you know, techniques for learning self-lymphatic drainage, I can certainly point people in the right direction for that too. Great. Well, we'll put some links into the show notes. And also Victoria University has a dermal clinic or a teaching dermal clinic. Are you able to just, yeah. yeah, let us know a little bit more about what the dermal clinic does? We do lots of things. So essentially we're teaching student dermal clinicians all the skills and tools that they need to go out into professional practice. So we do have an operating clinic and we provide services to, I suppose our focus is to those that may not necessarily be able to afford to go anywhere else or may have a particular condition where, you know, they want to get somebody that has, you know, a bit of expertise in terms of having a look at as well. So we operate different times of the year and at different times, depending on what unit it is where concentrating on I suppose that time but you can come in and experience treatments often we're looking for people to uh, you know happy to donate themselves for science especially if they do have a particular skin condition it's really great for the students to learn about that but you do get access the beauty about being at a university is we do have access to lots of different well firstly research so we know what we're doing is evidence-based and it is probably the best practice at that particular point in time but we also have lots of resources in terms of different machinery we might be able to get a hold of we've got lots of resources in terms of being able to point you in the right direction when you need to sort of manage it yourself and going home too so if you jump on the actual again VU website and you type in the dermal teaching clinic it does come up with a list of services of all the treatments that we do we have a focus both on aesthetics and also on health so my particular area as we mentioned was sort of a wound and edema management so my students particularly work around managing scars or wounds or you know unusual swelling that people might have but there are lots of other treatments that we do as well. So everything from managing photo damage and different skin conditions to ageing concerns, hair reduction, anything you can think of within that kind of that whole sort of realm, I suppose, is something that we, we can do and we can help with. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on today's show, Jen. Jennifer, it was, oh, thank you for having yeah, me. it was great to hear from you. It was great to hear about inflammation. Very interesting. Well, hopefully it helps somebody out there (laughs) (laughs) thank you bye for now thank you okay bye wasn't that a great interview you might have noticed that jennifer and i sound quite familiar 
it was great to have her on this show because Jennifer was actually one of my lecturers when I did university. So it was really fantastic to continually be learning from her even after all these years. Jennifer gave us some really great advice in terms of inflammation in the skin, what we can see, what we can't see. And the three deeper than skin insights that stood out to me were consider how reoccurring trauma actually impacts the skin. So we might be undergoing a series of treatments, whether it be, you know, 8, 12, 14 needling treatments for uh, scarring or something along those lines. But this continual inflammation or causing inflammation in the skin can sometimes do more harm than good, uh, especially when it's not really well controlled or the practitioner is really just performing the treatment without understanding the mechanism of action. Number two, vitamin E has been marketed to help heal scars and stretch marks, but it's really important to use it at the right time to prevent further scarring and, and uh, collagen breakdown. And number three, rest is really important for all types of healing. And we've heard this time and time again, but I think it's also important to note that any type of injury, whether that be an aesthetic treatment, a laser treatment, you know, plastic surgery, all of these cause some level of inflammation and stress within the body and rest is really key in helping us to heal as good and quickly as possible. So ensure that you're getting enough rest after these types of treatments. So thank you for sharing your earbuds with us for another episode of Heal Thy Skin. We'll see you again next week. If you know someone experiencing a skin conditional concern and you're enjoying these episodes, then be sure to share the podcast with them. It may help them on their skin health journey more than you realize.